Okay, everybody will come on back in. We'll get started. We've got lots of people out of town this week. Let's do this. Let's pray for the people traveling. I bet I know 30 people traveling this weekend, all kind of different places. And school's in. Actually, let me say this. We have a prayer meeting on Tuesday morning here at 7. We did have it at 6, but um, I wanted to come, so we changed it to 7. <laughs> 6 was just too hard for me. I mean, but we've been having, you know, just a great time. So any of you guys and gals, ladies and gentlemen, children of all ages, if you'd like to come at 7 o'clock, we meet right there in the lobby and... We really touched the Lord last week. I'm going to tell you, it was really, really a great time. So feel free. Also, um, it's so easy to be offended about things. Have you noticed the climate in the nation here? Um, but instead of being offended about things, you ought to do something good for somebody. And last week, you did something really good for some people in Puerto Rico you've never met. You gave uh, over $4,500 last week for those water filters. Yeah, yeah. So I just wanted to let you know about that. And thank you. Thank you so much. Can you imagine not having water to drink? You can't last long without water, obviously. So, all right. We are going to... Um, I'm going to continue the, um, the series we've been doing, which is really, um, it's, it's like, um, an old Testament survey and we're so we're high spotting. I mean, you, you can spend a week or two weeks or a month on one chapter in one book, but what we are doing is trying to give you and trying to actually remind ourselves of um, the story of basically Jacob's family. And the understanding is that actually says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 11, now all these things happen to them as examples. And they were written for our admonition Paul said here, upon whom the ends of the ages have come. And the idea is um, experience is not the best teacher. Say that with me. Experience is not the best teacher. Someone else's experience is the best teacher. Let's say that together. Someone, and make sure you don't point to anybody, someone else's experience is the best teacher. You do not want to have to go through everything you need to learn to not just survive, but to thrive and be fruitful. Everybody with me? And so what, um, what my hope is uh, by, by this morning, by looking at the scripture, looking at their story, bringing, bringing out... Um, some examples from my own life that I can offer you hope, encouragement, and help. Everybody good? So that's what I want to do. 
So for those of you who haven't been to church in 2017, let me give the background. That was a little bit of a joke, but uh, uh, I, I want to have a church people want to go to, right? I don't want people to feel like they have to come or they're compelled to come unless you're under the age of a consenting adult and your parents are godly and they break in you. But my idea is this. If you are not free to leave, you're not free to stay. Do you understand what I'm saying? And if you're not free to stay, you won't get what God wants you to get. Because there really does need to be this atmosphere of uh, freedom and enthusiasm. You know, that, you know, I could really benefit. I could really benefit from, from being here. And one of, one of the things virtually everyone who gets up here and speaks tries to do in all sincerity and all honesty is make your life better. And I think the longer you, you are, there are issues within that, though. Um, it, it is, it is um, absolutely true that until your life has, until you become a giver, I'm not, I'm not talking about money primarily, but until you become a giver, you will not live um, a life of satisfaction. You really won't. Uh, all you have to do is look at, let's just take, for example, look at Hollywood, multi-millionaires, they can have anything, they can virtually do anything, most of the time they can buy their way out of trouble, but the divorce rate, it's remarkable, they marvel when a couple's been married for a pretty good while in Hollywood, they like marvel, they go, wow, how did you do that? Well, we live in Idaho. We just come when we work. I don't know what they do, but, but, um, and, and, and so what happens in, in churches is if your primary goal, that's not the best one. If your overriding goal when you come is to get something only, you're missing the point. It won't work. How many of you want to live a life that doesn't work? Well, nobody does. One of the primary keys to your life working is being generous, finding places either, and I'm not even talking about, this is not rally people around Help the Church Week. I'm talking about your life. I'm talking about how you go to work. I'm talking about why you hold a job. Years ago when I was selling restaurant equipment, I, I sold equipment and designed kitchens for a better part of 20 years. And I would, I worked on strike commission. And I'm glad I worked on strike commission because it suddenly dawned on me that showing up doesn't mean you get paid. I would have to sell something, install it, collect for it, make sure it got fixed if it broke, or I didn't make, make any money. But... Um, it was easy for me to, and, and we're going to talk about the wilderness, some, some wildernesses we perpetuate for ourselves. And when I'm talking about the wilderness, we're going to see it here in the life uh, of, of people in the Bible. But when I'm talking about the wilderness, I'm talking about difficult situations you wish you weren't in. Some of them we perpetuate. 
I can remember when I was selling on straight commission, my primary goal was not to help people. It was to sell people stuff. And I would get increasingly more miserable no matter how well I did. And so I asked the Lord about it, and he said, why don't you love your customers? I thought, well, that's a novel approach. In other words, why don't you see yourself and why don't you participate in giving them something, not seeing what you can get from them? Because getting, and I was making a lot of money and I still wasn't happy. So a lot of these things you just sort of, sort of live and learn. But what we're trying to do here is to help people. Now, the background is this. Jacob had 12 sons. Joseph was his favorite. His jealous brother sold him into slavery, told their father Jacob and um, Joseph, told their father Jacob that Joseph had been killed by wild animals. In Egypt, where Joseph was sold, Joseph was tested for 22 years. How many of you remember in school when your teacher would say, take out a clean sheet of paper, you have a test? Thank God none of them lasted 22 years. <laughs> Joseph had a 22-year test. But God exalted him from, I'm just going to keep making comments. I can't get by these things. The harder the test, the longer the test, unless you are self-perpetuating it, the more significant the purpose. Tweet that somebody, please. I've already forgotten it. The longer and more significant the test, unless you are self-perpetuating it, the more significant is the purpose. They don't make diamonds in 15 minutes. Joseph gets exalted from being a slave to the second most powerful ruler in Egypt, which was the most powerful nation on earth. He managed Egypt's resources during a 14-year season of plenty and famine. In the famine years, Jacob sent his sons to Egypt for food, where they were united, reunited with Joseph. The family moved back to Egypt and flourished until a pharaoh died who did not know Joseph. Jacob's family known as the children of Israel, become slaves for almost 400 years. God raised up Moses to deliver them from Egyptian oppression. God did so by supernatural power. He brought a reluctant Pharaoh and the nation of Egypt to its knees and liberated the two million strong nation of Israel. The only way of deliverance for the people Moses led was through the Red Sea. How many of you heard Al's message last week on the Red Sea? Man, that was a, I wish he hadn't preached that good because it's going to make me look bad. But that was an amazing message. And it's on our, it's on our website, queencity.church under media. Um, After the supernatural deliverance through the Red Sea, Moses and the nation landed in a place called Say that. The wilderness. And that's what I'm talking about this morning is the wilderness. Now, um, what was the wilderness like? Well, in this verse here, we have to jump into the middle of a paragraph. Read this with me, beginning there with verse 15. Who led you through the great and terrible wilderness in which were fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty land. 
where there was no water, who brought water for you out of the flinty rock, who fed you in the wilderness with manna, which your fathers did not know. Why did he do that? That he might humble you and that he might test you to do you good in the end. That's very powerful. There's another verse I didn't, I didn't quote here, but it said, God says they were actually in that wilderness for 40 years. One of the things um, the Bible tells us is actually the Lord said, during those 40 years, you never lacked. Now, that in and of itself is a tremendous promise, that even though you're in a tough spot, God promises that he's going to take care of you. So, as they were going through that wilderness, what kind of place was it? Great and terrible. What were there? Fiery serpents, scorpions, thirsty land, very little water. God fed them with uh, manna, which they never had seen before, which I don't think anybody's seen since. For what purpose? That he might humble you and that he might test you to do you good in the end. And that last phrase, to do you good in the end, that's a description of God's intent and purpose for your life no matter where you are or what you're going through. And see, that's like a lens to do you good in the end. That's like a lens that you need to turn around and look through at your life. You need to interpret your life not through bitterness or anger or frustration, but you need to look at your life through the lens of, although I don't see this now and I don't quite understand it, God wants to do me good and this is a process I'm going through. Now, I'm not going to say God does terrible things to people to deal with them. I'm going to say we're in a fallen world and bad things happen. How many of you are familiar with this particular place we live called existence? But let's go here. The first major event. Oh, I should have read that. That's good. Let me go here. The first major event we find here in Exodus 15, verse 22. Let me read this. So Moses brought Israel from the Red Sea. Then they went out into the wilderness of Shur, and they went three days in the wilderness and found no water. Now when they came to Marah, they could not drink the waters of Marah, for they were bitter. Therefore the name of it was called Marah. And the people complained against Moses. Say that phrase, complained against Moses. Complained against Moses, saying, what shall we drink? So Moses cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree. When he cast it into the waters, the waters were made sweet. There he made a statute and an ordinance for them, and there he tested them. Now, one, I think one of the primary um, problems people in the church have, even in the world, is bitterness. Uh, bitterness and unforgiveness go hand in hand. Actually, um, it's amazing the way the Lord can speak. I was studying the life of Jesus a number of years ago, and then I, I suddenly realized after reading all four of the Gospels 
that Jesus was surrounded by Marys. His mother, Mary. Mary Magdalene. Mary, the wife of Cleopas. Mary that was Martha's sister. And there could have been a fifth Mary. Mary, 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 Mary. How many Marys? Five Marys, at least five Marys. Now, if you looked at your life, you would be hard-pressed to find people in your close friendship and five of them had the same name. You with me? But see, we have to understand something. The Bible is a strategic revelatory book. So I ask the question, Lord, why so many Marys? Well, the Lord showed me that Mary comes from this, um, comes from this same word, Mara which means bitter. And the Lord was speaking to me about the proliferation of bitterness among the people of God. And bitterness is one of the primary things that can keep you from receiving everything God has for you. The Lord's Prayer, give us today our daily bread, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespassed against us. Little boy said one time, they were memorizing the Lord's Prayer, and, and he was asked to quote it. And he said, and little, the teacher said, Johnny, how about quoting that? And he said, all right. And he got to that part. He said, and forgive us our trash passes as we forgive those who pass trash against us. Now, that's funny, but that's when you know your bitterness issues have become resolved is when you stop passing trash telling your story how many people have you met and good lord they tell their story and tell it and tell it and tell it why do they keep telling it it's because they have unresolved conflict could be bitterness. But you know you've begun to be delivered when you don't tell your story anymore. I, honestly, I'll tell the truth. I've had some things I've been through, and, and finally Donna would say, you've got to quit talking about that. I, I don't know if you know her. Donna will not talk your ear off. It's not, she's not shy, not, but I've learned over 41 years when she tells me something flat out, I'm listening. I may not act like I'm listening. Man's got to maintain a certain dignity. <laughs> but when she turns around, I write it down. No, so this problem with bitterness, you have got to resolve your issues. It really restricts. You know, when I read that God won't forgive if we don't forgive, the way I understand that is... When you are in bitterness through unforgiveness, you are restricting the flow of God into your life. You with me? You're restricting the flow. So how many of you are convicted so far this morning? Any of you? Yeah, stick those hands up. Stick. All right, let's stand up together. Let's do, do a little housework here. This will only hurt you and not me because... All of my issues are resolved. 
Did you hear the humor there? Obviously, that's not true. All right. How do you forgive? Jesus, this is a key. Do we know we should forgive? Yeah. Do we know what happens when we don't forgive? Eventually, we get turned over to the demons. That's scary. But what does the Bible say about how you do it? There's only one thing I know in the Bible about how to. When Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. If, if you can look at the people that hurt you and realize they did not know what they were doing, there's no place for that bitterness to stay. And you can't tell me, because you can say, well, they did know. Well, see, now you got an argument with heaven because Jesus said people that did him wrong didn't know. You'll see what I'm saying. You have to side with God. You have to determine these people really did not know what they were doing. When you stop judging their motive, you with me? You disintegrate the platform where that, mm, you know what that is? That's that bitter feeling, that thing that, anybody familiar with that little thing? So let's, anybody with me? Is this making sense to anybody? So here, here's what we're going to do. Let's look at who hurt you or what hurt you. Can you identify it? Have, let me, raise your hand when you can identify it. Wave at me. Come on. Now, if you're really serious, you'll wave hard. No, that's just for me. Okay, you're looking at it, you can name it, okay? Okay, while you're looking at that, here's what you need to say. Lord, they didn't know what they were doing. I'll release them. Let's say it again, that felt pretty pretty good, but there's a little bit more juice in there we need to get out of this thing. Lord, I'm looking right at them and I'm changing my mind because you know more than me. They didn't know what they were doing. I release them. Lord, bless them. Amen. Now, there was a joke but I wasn't going to insert it in there until after we actually closed the deal. But in uh, Fiddler on the Roof, that guy used to say, Lord bless and keep them. Lord bless and keep them far, far away. But no, nah, that would that would have drug you back under that oppression. So, All right. Bitter water. God showed Moses a tree. He cuts his tree down. He throws the tree and the water turns sweet. Now, this is interesting they had water, but the water they had wasn't good. Oh, you're okay. So this, you know, lots of times we have the things we need, but it's just not right. You know what I'm saying? It's not working right. Well, God wants you to know in your wilderness, he can turn whatever it is you have that's not working into what you need to have to make that thing work. This is what this is about. 
I can make the parallel about the tree thrown in the water as the cross. I just don't have time to make all those connections. But here was the problem. They had a bitterness issue. People complained. God calls it a test. And then at the end it says there he made a statute and an ordinance for them. What could that possibly mean? I never understood that till this weekend. It means here was the ordinance. The ordinance was if you have a problem, God will give you a solution. That's the statute and the ordinance. The ordinance was not cut down trees and throw them in water. What was the ordinance? The ordinance was no matter what your problem is, God has and will give you a solution. Come on. That is very good. Somebody jump and shout or do something. Okay. All right. Where are we? Exodus 16. Second major event. You can't make this stuff up. The next wilderness they went through was called the wilderness of sin. S-I-N. Need I explain that by type? Okay. Here's what happened there. They journeyed from Elam. All the congregation of the children of Israel came to the wilderness of sin, which is between Elam and Sinai. On the 50th day of the second month, 15th day of the second month, after they departed from the land of Egypt. Then the whole congregation of Israel did what? Did what? Complaint. We're beginning to see a common characteristic of people in the wilderness, which is what? Complaining. Oh, this is, this is so important. The whole congregation of the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the children of Israel said to them, Oh, that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the pots of meat and when we ate bread to the full. Now, they, they are practicing their compartmentalized thinking. What they were really doing was working seven days a week and they were being governed by cruel taskmasters and they had cried out so long and so hard that God himself came down in a fiery bush and secured Moses to go do 10 astronomically amazing miracles to extract all 2 million out of them as slaves out of Egypt. But when they get in a problem, what do they remember? Oh, the good old days. I... I'm embarrassing myself here. I keep uh, forgetting how this works. Um, so here's what happens. God sends them manna from heaven. But they complain again. Every time you turn around, the people are complaining. Actually, when the water was bitter... It says the people complained. Here, they didn't have food. The people complained. 
And that was the third complaint. I didn't even tell you about the first complaint. The first complaint was after they got away from Pharaoh, they were looking at the Red Sea. They complained and they complained and they complained. Then they accused Moses of Aaron of wanting to kill them with hunger. But the interesting thing is the Lord is testing them over and over and over. Now, here's the problem. It was easier for the Lord to get Israel out of Egypt than to get Israel to get Egypt out of Israel. And so what we discover about the wilderness is God will use your wilderness to begin to shape and form you and try to bring you into a place of greater maturity. The Bible tells us over and over and over, God will test us. God's test. It's very interesting. God, when he gives a test, he gives an open book test. Now, here is both the blessing and um, the frightening thing about God's test. You take them till you pass them. Does that scare anybody? I'm I'm just trying to help you. you. You can preach a message that will... Um, encourage people for a season by not talking about the purposes of God that involve you being tested. The problem is whether somebody tells you about it or not, it's still true. Every single one of us at some point or some points of our lives are going to go through test, going to go through wilderness experiences. And if we don't realize that God is up to something, we can repeat some of these things over and over and over. Actually, when you look at the history of Israel, when they wandered in the wilderness, you can pretty well track them. They just wandered around in circles for years. They felt like they were making progress until they came back to that place they started 10 years earlier. How many of you want to make progress instead of going circles? Well, there's some keys here that we really need uh, to look at. Let me find this. Let's read this together. Exodus 16.8. Also Moses said, this shall be seen when the Lord gives you meat to eat in the evening and in the morning bread to the full... The Lord hears your complaints which you make against him. And what are we? Your complaints are not against us, but against the Lord. Now, that is a very important thing to recognize. If you are a complainer, you may not realize that your foundational complaint is against God. You may have personality You may have circumstance, you may have situation, but ultimately our complaints are against the Lord and we need to see what we can do about that. That's when the Lord gave them manna from heaven. Now let's look at this Exodus 17. Here again, they needed water, but this time they had none at all. 
the children of Israel act the very same way they did. Verse 3, why is it you brought us out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? Then Moses cries out, Lord, what am I going to do? These people are about to stone me. So the Lord says, go on before the people, take with you some of the elders of Israel. Also take in your hand your rod with which you struck the river and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock in Horeb and you shall strike the rock and water will come out of it that the people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. So he called the name of the place Massah and Meribah because of the contention of the children of Israel and because they tempted the Lord saying, is the Lord among us or not? How many of you have said that? Is God with me? That's a common test. Let, let me, let, let, let's look at this, the principle. If that's a common test, and if everyone's going to go through it, you need to have a circumstance where you go through that and you're tempted to ask that question and you refuse to. That's how you pass that test. What should you say instead of, is the Lord among us or not? At your worst, you say, man, this is awesome. <laughs> God is really with me. This is, this is amazing. Does that make any sense? Well, if you've got to pass the test, what are you going to say? Because it always comes down to what you say. Do you realize that? What are you going to say? God's not with me. You fucked. It made you feel good temporarily to complain, but that's the thing about complaint. Complaint gives you momentary pleasure, but long-term difficulty. So the next time you're tempted to say, the Lord is not with me, what should you do? Repeat after me, say this. This is awesome. Come on, let, let me, come on, let me hear it. What do you, this is awesome. God is really with me. Well, how do you know he's with me? Because everything's falling apart. Temporarily. To see if I believe he's really with me. So what do you say? Let's do that again. When everything's falling apart, you want to say God's not with me. What do you say? Three words. This is awesome. Donna, write this down. I might need this next week. This is awesome. Now, let me show you what God's intention for us is. I am not doing this very well. I don't have, I, I don't guess. In Exodus 19, we read this. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be a special treasure to me above all people, for the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which you shall speak to the children of Israel. That's what God wants you to know. You're a special treasure. 
I was reading recently where uh, a famous, um, actually she's a Roman Catholic saint, um, fell off her donkey and fell in the mud. And she said to the Lord, Lord, why would you, why would, why would this happen to me? And the Lord said, because you're one of my friends. <laughs> and she said, well, that's why you don't have many friends, Lord. <laughs> but there's something that has to happen in our hearts when things don't work out. What do you do? Who are you going to get mad at next? Did it work last time? That the old saying is bitterness or unforgiveness is like drinking poison and waiting for the other guy to die. It doesn't work that way. We have to have mechanisms. We have to have processes. We have to have ways to navigate. And one of the ways you can navigate bitterness is you can determine people don't know what they're doing. Do you realize people don't know what they're doing? Nobody knows what they're doing. Nobody knows what they're doing. When I was in college, I had a call to preach in college, 1972-73. I'd already had a revelation on fivefold ministry. I already had apostolic understandings beyond what most people understood. I knew that there were prophets that should still be around. It's easy to prove that from the Bible in Ephesians chapter 4. We have apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers until we all come to the unity of faith and to the measure of the statue of the fullness of Christ. Is our faith unified? No. They have to be here. Just that simple. I saw that. I thought, well, I'll go to seminary. And the Lord said, I don't want you to go to seminary. And so I went into business. I was in business for 20 years. For 20 years, I knew I wasn't being fulfilled in business. I had a calling to preach and to pastor. And I, I couldn't, I, I didn't understand why. Well, let me explain why. And I've learned this in hindsight. Now, see, this is my experience you can learn from. You don't have to have a 20-year test. I discovered that Almost, I, I, I don't know the percentage, a huge majority of people, men and women, who go to seminary and go directly from seminary into pastoral ministry, it's like 60 or 70% are not in ministry by the time they're 40 years old. They give up, they quit, they burn out. They do all those things. And I think one reason is... What does a 26 or 27-year-old person really know about how to handle many other people's problems that can land at your doorstep when you are pastoring? Add to that raising children. How many of you realized raising children were harder after you had them than before? Yeah, I think that's generally the pattern. Then you're having children. Then you're paying your bills. Then you're trying to navigate your own interpersonal relationships in your home. 
And then you have all these people that if you don't fix their problems, it's not something wrong with them. There's something wrong with you. And so they take it till they're about 40, then they give up and quit. But see, when you've gone through a number of problems, and here's the thing, if you have been a Christian for more than 20 years and you're still a happy person, you are a rare breed. Now, that's a scary thought, but it's absolutely true. How many of you know people that have gone back? Come on, stick those hands up. How many of you know people that have turned away from the Lord? Look around the room. Please, hold them up. Look around the room. Look around the room. You could be somewhere else and somebody else could be raising their hand about you because you didn't understand what you have been born into. Are you with me? When you don't understand, um, you need life skills to live life. And those skills have to be rooted in an understanding about the nature of God and how things really work. They don't work the way you want them to work. They work the way they work. Your job is to figure out how they work. But I don't like that. It doesn't matter what you like. That's not part of it. What you like is of no consequence to nature. You were never even invited into discussing what things should be like. You were just thrown into what things are like. (laughs) Naked came you into this world and ignorant as possible about how this thing works. Come on, everybody starts that way. So back to my story. I went 20 years working a job I did not like. Well, Robin, why did you do that? I had a family, number one. The Lord seemed to put me there, number two. But here's my problem. I made it a wilderness through my attitude. Your wilderness can become an Eden or it can end based on your attitude. We are waiting for things to change. God is waiting for you to change. And he is patient. He can wait and wait and wait some more and wait. So I was reading a book Rick Joyner wrote, and he was writing about the wilderness. Donna and I think both read it. And this section, Rick said, when you're in a wilderness, the children of Israel stayed there because they never basically stopped complaining. And you will stay in your wilderness until you stop complaining. Now, I had been 20 years in that job knowing I was supposed to do something else. And I read that, and Donna and I talked about it. And I mean, I was a class A complainer. I should have been embarrassed. I looked at Donna and I said, "You, you will never hear me complain one more time about my job or about this life we live. You won't. Two months later, I was out of that job and in ministry. Two months. 
20 years, and then there's just these two months. When you read Deuteronomy 1 about the purpose of the wilderness, it's to learn dependence on God. The Lord your God who goes before you, he will fight for you according to all he did for you in Egypt before your eyes. And in the wilderness where you saw how the Lord your God carried you as a man carries his son in all the way that you went until you came to this place. Then it says this, yet for all that, they did not believe the Lord who went in the way before them to search out a place for them to live, to show them the way to go and on and on. But you need to learn how to depend on God. They're, they're, I wake up at nights, and it's funny how in the night things can come at me. I guess it's true of most people. Um, negativity. And I have learned when I wake up or when I'm tempted to complain or to doubt, here's what I say. I say, Lord, I trust you. I look at what the situation is. I say, Lord, I trust you. And I try to only say that, Lord, I just trust you. God can make your bitter water sweet. I like confessions. Let's make a confession. Let's say God can make my bitter water sweet. God can provide for me. Even bread from heaven. God can satisfy my thirst, even water from a rock. Let me tell you how wonderful the Lord is. I had a guy stop by the church I'd never met. Um, just, just how God wants to help people. He knocks on the door. He comes in. He's in a mess. I talk with him for about an hour, and then I lead him to Jesus, and he, he asked Jesus to be his Lord. He got saved. I never got his last name. He's got my phone number. He was gone. I thought, I don't know if I'll ever see that guy again until Saturday morning when Don and I were at breakfast, and he walked by my table. There's a guy. There's a guy. I thought, isn't God amazing? You know, he just... He can, he can help us. He can fix things. Here's what we need to recognize. There's a wilderness between our promise and our promised land, but we can determine the length of that wilderness by our attitude. How many of you, please, how many of you are convicted? And, and if you're not, that's fine. But how many of you are convicted about complaining about things? Yeah. Well, let me ask it this way. How many of you are convicted about complaining about things? Why don't you stand up with me? Let's do this. Come on. Let's just, don't you want that thing to stop? Don't you want it to end? Or don't you want your attitude to actually transform that wilderness into a garden? Because when your attitude changes and that stuff's not in you, it may not matter what you're in. So here's what we need to do. We need to repent. We need to confess our sin of complaining. How many of you are ready to do that? 
This is easy to do. Let's say, Lord, I confess my sin of complaining. I ask you to forgive me. And I'm going to lean on you. I'm going to trust you to not complain anymore. Complain anymore. In Jesus' name, amen. How many of you are familiar with pig pen? And is, you know that everywhere he goes, that cloud, you know, is a car. Is that peanuts? Yeah. Some of you may not know what peanuts is, but it's a cartoon strip. When you're a complainer, you carry an atmosphere with you that hurts other people. I, I one more story and we'll be gone. And it just take a second. I was uh, getting breakfast at a local restaurant to the house and a guy walks in. I was minding my own business. I was happy. When he left, I was still happy. It just took a little bit more effort. <laughs> but he said, traffic's terrible. I drove down this road and doggone if I had to stop and then I cut through my blood. Now, nobody knows the guy. Nobody cared. And then I went on down that other road and by golly, there were cars down there too. Oh, God, traffic here, traffic there, traffic everywhere. <laughs> the guy's old. He never got it. Here, here's, here's the deal. There's traffic. Your wilderness came to change you. You affect your wilderness or your wilderness affects you. Amen and thanksgiving turns your wilderness into a garden of Eden. Amen doesn't mean you agree with your circumstance because some of them need to change and some of them God didn't bring. But to get out of them, you have to agree with God and not focus on your problems and learn how to be thankful. Amen. Okay, here comes Eric Kirchin. Yo, that was great. That was real good, real good. You know, what's interesting about that is uh, they're not saying that there's no such thing as a wilderness, right? They're, what's, what's not being said here is that the wilderness is not an incredibly, incredibly awful place to live in, right? But it's, it, it's not denying that the wilderness exists. We all know there's that, we, we all know those Christians, right? I'm good. You're not good, clearly. Um, but what it is, is recognizing that you are in the wilderness and then finding the thing that you are thankful for and the place where, you, where life comes from, right? Which is awesome. All right. Um, we have healing and prayer teams. They were going to be up here. Who's gonna, who is on the prayer team? This, yeah, there we go. It's good to see you. Uh, yes, so we've got we've got prayer teams up here. If you need prayer for anything, healing in your body, uh, you know, if you want to respond to anything that Robin said today, and you just feel like you need extra extra prayer, please come on up. Uh, otherwise, have a great week. Go out and enjoy your lives. Amen. <laughs>